common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. Here now is your host, Jeff Eager. Welcome to the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager. Have for you today a uh, interview, which I just finished recording, with uh, Monique Despain, who is running for the 4th Congressional District in Oregon. Her opponent is Val Hoyle. If you read the stuff I write, you are familiar with some of uh, Hoyle's uh, ethical and legal challenges, or what should be ethical and legal challenges. Monique is running. She's a lawyer, but don't hold that against her. Uh, on the plus side, she spent 30 years in the in the military for the United States and the Oregon National Guard, et cetera. She's got a really cool background, uh, really interesting background. I think you'll enjoy the interview. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you for a minute afterwards. And now I'd like to welcome to the Oregon Roundup podcast, Monique Despain, who is running for Congress in the 4th Congressional District of Oregon. Welcome, Monique. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, really happy to have you. Uh, happy to see that there's uh, someone running hard in the 4th Congressional District, which uh, now it, it's pretty much almost, well, not population-wise, but by area, a pretty coastal district now. And I always think of the 4th as a, like the Eugene District, I guess. Um probably because I went to law school in Eugene and I, I know what a Eugene congressional district might look like, but mm -hmm. the fourth district uh, is a lot more than Eugene, especially now. Yes. And I'm glad you start out with that because we forget that a lot of people think, Oh, this is impossible. It's Eugene 50 square miles surrounded by reality. But, um, and I love Eugene. I live in South Eugene and I think we actually have a lot of conservatives or concerned moderates in yep. Eugene. Yep. But Eugene is just one of 12 cities in Lane County. And you're right, the coastal community, well, we went through the gerrymandering and lost a good portion of Douglas County and some of the other southern areas. So uh, I was just out on the coast and a lot of people out there and they're not happy and they feel forgotten. Yep. Yep. Uh, very true. Tell us a little bit about your background. I, I think you're a lawyer, served in the military for a long time, got a really interesting background for a congressional candidate, not the lawyer yeah. part so much, but the military part. Yes. So why don't you give us uh, just kind of a rundown of what you've done with your life so far? Well, you know, I've never aspired to political office before, but um, at the end of 2019, when I retired from the military, I started getting involved in local politics and paying attention to local politics more because of what we were going through with COVID and the lockdowns. And so that's kind of what got me involved with local politics and supporting other candidates and realizing we often don't have very good, strong candidates to turn things around. But it turns out my background really does uniquely qualify me for the job at hand, which is to be a lawmaker in Congress. So I went to Willamette in Salem while you were at the UVO. And um well, I went but to Willamette for I went to Willamette for, for law school. So, oh, uh, did yeah. you? Uh, yeah, Willamette undergrad, yeah. Oregon law. So I did my time. Oh, in great! Salem too. That's great. I went to college in Utah, actually Salt Lake City, Utah, and um, and I entered the Air Force there and went through the the ninety day wonder program, the officer training program after I finished my bachelor's degree. And I served on active duty for six years and then got off of active duty to go to law school. And I rolled right into the Oregon Air National Guard and served. That was probably the only three years that I was truly a traditional guardsman where I did one weekend a month and two weeks a year. Mm -hmm. 
because I was in law school. I had my twins while I was in law school. And, And then from law school, I actually had an opportunity to live in Singapore as a civilian, but I transferred to the Air Force Reserves while I was overseas and had some great duty working in the U.S. Embassy in Singapore in the Office of Defense Cooperation and learned all about foreign military sales and the whole military industrial complex. I did that for uh, four, almost five years and remained and I actually became a JAG during that time. I flew back to the States and went to JAG school and became a JAG as a major. And so I had kind of a unique JAG career because I started as a as a major on that. And so and then I served as a reservist at McCord up in Washington, mm-hmm. joint, now Joint Base Lewis McCord. Yep. And um, supported the active duty mission there, working in the in the legal office. And then ultimately, I kind of came full circle and transferred back to the Oregon Air National Guard when they needed a staff judge advocate for their legal office, which is the the um, managing attorney for the legal function of the wing. And I did that for several years and um, ultimately held some national level positions working for the Bureau, National Guard Bureau as a liaison between the Air National Guard and the active duty. So I had a good run. I was going to do four years of active duty. I ended up doing 30. Ah, yeah, that's a, that's a little longer than you originally intended, but that's yeah. uh, uh, that's good. You must have uh, found it rewarding. Well, we're, we're talking about rewarding. your military background, something that I've been thinking a little bit about is this situation in the Middle East right now with kind of these Iranian proxy groups like the Houthis and whatnot uh, shooting at and recently killing some American soldiers. What yourself as a longtime American service person, what is your reaction to what's going on over there? Unacceptable. We need to protect our service members and our interests when we're in these uh, venues and arenas, for sure. I have been laser focused on campaigning and did just take my trip to the coast. Um, But so I'm not the expert that you probably are, because I know you talk about these things on the show. But, you know, certainly we have international interests and we have our obligations to be involved in what's happening on planet earth but i'm really concerned about our own country right now um and all the decisions we're making should be keeping that in mind don't believe in blank checks to anyone uh not even the state of oregon boots on the ground i would avoid at all costs the technology we have today i don't even know why we do it anymore honestly Um, maybe for intelligence gathering but certainly not combat boots on the ground yeah i kind of sabotage my own approach here by asking you that question kind of out of order what i wanted to ask you first and i'll ask Mm -hmm. you now is why are you running why am i running you know i've thought a lot about this um I've been working the last few years uh, since I retired in twenty nine end of twenty nineteen. I've been working with Kevin Mannix. Mm-hmm. You probably know him. Yep. Just delightful, and he I joined his fight on so many public safety issues that we have. He's been doing it his whole career. Father of Measure Eleven. During COVID, if you do recall, Kate Brown went a little crazy with excuse making to let felons out of prison before they completed their sentences. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. When I was interviewing with Kevin Mannix, I told him about my background and I've done some litigation, but I wouldn't call myself a trial attorney. And I said, you know, I'm not a trial attorney. I can litigate, but not two or three months after I started, he's like, let's sue Kate Brown. (laughs) So I learned all about the writ of mandamus and uh, we should use them more. Basically, it's this wonderful legal tool to compel a government official to do their job 
as the law states. And so we sued her because we didn't think she was following the clemency laws that are very clear, yeah. black and right, black and white statutes. But um, as you know, the judges are all appointed by like 85 percent of them were appointed by her. We raised awareness which is what you do. I love the way you are raising awareness with your show. Um, so there, there's value in that sometimes. Uh, we did delay the release of some really dangerous people, um, but ultimately um, the Court of Appeals kind of shot us down. So we're just going to work on refining the law so that any idiot can understand the law, right? Yeah. Well, then Kevin Mannix ran for office, which he wasn't in this legislature when I started. Right. So he kind of pivoted to do work out of Common Sense for Oregon to support public safety policy. I um, really studied up in depth on the whole public defender system debacle, the lies about what's really happening in Oregon with that and the money. Just saw what happens when you've got a liberal Democrat majority. I mean, just crazy stuff starts to happen, right? So I wouldn't even consider running for state legislature. I live in South Eugene. It's Paul Holdy's position. But I was invited to consider running for Congress. And when I thought about it, I thought, here's my opportunity. We have a majority in Congress of people, uh, not just Republicans, but anyone who's got a common sense approach to doing what's right for America. Right now, they're in the majority. And I would like to deploy to Congress and reinforce those people. And it just is an avenue for me to get some work done after being for a few years in an environment in Oregon where it just seems like you can't get anything rational done. Mm -hmm. The Measure 110 agenda, you know, just the failure to address um, the addiction that we have. I feel like there's some hope for me to contribute in a meaningful way from Congress. What do you think is, uh, you know, pick a big thing that the federal government could do or start doing or stop doing to help the people of the fourth congressional district. Ah, secure the the border to our country. Yeah. So what are, what are your thoughts about the border? Whatever needs to be done to secure that border needs to be done yesterday. It's probably going to take decades to turn around the damage that's been done now, right? Like I think it's hard to keep track of the numbers, but 9 million illegal immigrants in our country. It's just inconceivable how out of control things have become. We're already in a terrible deficit, right? But the cost of supporting these immigrant people is uh, just we're up to over half a trillion dollars. That's to support illegal immigrants and not Americans uh, to the detriment of Americans. That would be my number one priority. But I know there's like so many things that have to be orchestrated at the same time. I consider border security a separate issue from immigration reform and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. either reforming it or complying with it. Totally. We are a country of immigrants. My mother was an immigrant. It's a separate issue from just national security. Mm -hmm. Have you been following that um, kind of dispute down in Texas between the state of Texas and the federal government and Texas trying to kind of seal off part of their border with Mexico and the Fed saying, no, you can't do that. The Supreme Court had a ruling not too long ago that more or less allowed the feds to cut the state of Texas's razor wire or whatever. Do you have any thoughts on that specific uh, issue? You're a lawyer, so you probably understand all the (sighs) 
the weird federalism issues that go along yes, with that. Yes, they do. And in the guard, it's very interesting because you have that you, they're they're federalizing. They're taking the oh you know, yeah. So when you're not in federal status, Title Ten status, then your your commander in chief is God help us, Joe Biden. Um, when you're in Title Thirty Two status, the governor is the commander in chief. Right. The bottom line is it's clear that the federal government does not want to secure the border. When you see the federal government actually now activating guard troops that are in service for the governor, taking them out of service, putting them on Title 10 orders and telling them to undo the physical barriers. I mean, it just who's going to argue that the Democrats don't want the border secured now? You know, I mean, I know they like they'll probably deny that any of this is even happening. I do talk to people like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I mean, they're just backing themselves in a corner. But these are very serious times. And I think we'll be fortunate if we don't have another 9-11 event in the months ahead. Yes, for sure. So when I think of the fourth district, I think of a lot of logging places that used to do a lot of logging. And it's Kind of that district has a, I love the fourth district in part because it's parts of it are very much like where I was born, which was up in Aberdeen, Washington, which what used to be a timber town, fishing town. Now it's an last I was there, it was a meth town. I assume it's a fentanyl town now. Every time I'm in Coos Bay, it, it reminds me of Aberdeen, which is not to speak yeah. ill of Coos Bay. I think it's beautiful and a great, great town. It's to speak ill of the leadership. Yeah. I mean, these states are like paradise. They're so abundant in natural resources and beautiful. And I mean, it is so much opportunity that. So what what could a freshman House member from Oregon's fourth congressional district named Monique Despain, what do you think you could do or what would you want to do to help communities like Coos Bay and other uh, other towns in the fourth district, you know, try to get their economies back together? Uh, it seems like the feds have been not on board with that effort in numerous ways. Right. I know. To your point, like they're taking down barriers that the Texas Guard put up. So, well, there's three things uh, that are of biggest concern to me. Pup for Oregon, public safety, the economy and government transparency and accountability. And we're going to talk about government transparency in a little bit here. Yes, we will. But right now, I see campaigning for a year as a great opportunity to learn everything I can and get caught up on the projects. Like I was just out there talking to the Port Bay people um, that have been working on that for years. So I'm going to absorb all the info. Like, where are we on this? What has caused it to be halted, stopped, or promises broken? Any new job I go into, and I've been gone into to very many of them in new industries. It's like, I don't want to come and just uh, reinvent the wheel. It usually just takes a tweak or two. But so I'm learning as I go. So I hit the ground running for a two-year term, right? Um, and I did sign a pledge to enact term limits. So, oh, how many terms yeah. are you? Uh, three, three, three terms, okay. three terms. And if you're really great, you should be a senator for two terms. <laughs> and then you go home and you do real productive work. And let some other really intelligent, good-willed person servitor. Kind of anyway. like a citizen legislature. Yeah, it's like yeah. the founders intended. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, so this is, would be representative government. You know, like you can't like, and I feel I can represent this district well because I've raised my children here in Eugene. But I know that the Eugene is not the only voice. Um, I do need to learn a lot more about forest management, but. I really could approach a lot of this with common sense. 
so many of these problems we're having are companies. Uh, you know, I'm a grassroots funded candidate and, um, and, and I want to go and represent the people. So anyway, I learn everything I can about the issues that are important in those categories that I want to focus on public yep. safety, the economy, um, and then transparency. And then also um, build relationships here in the district, in these areas of already building great relationships. There's so many people are brilliant. They have all the information we need. Um, and then building relationships with Congress. Um, I'm already building relationships with Congress people uh, that have good, what's the word, just like honorable intentions for America. Yep. Yep. I will align with them, work to support their work. And always be a voice for Oregonians. What is, uh, you mentioned one of your three um, kind of focal areas is uh, public safety. And my pretend job is writing and podcasting about stuff going on in Oregon. So I'm hip deep deep in the, like kind of the state issues around Mm -hmm. public safety, kind of leading with measure 110. And then you mentioned the clemency stuff. I mean, it's just been this giant kind of backtracking of, of public safety on almost every front Yes, uh, in Oregon. What do you think uh, you as a congressperson, if you win, can do at the federal side of things, aside from you said you wanted to address the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is certainly a public safety issue. But what else? What else do you think that the feds could do to help places like Oregon that are kind of falling apart from a public safety standpoint? That's a great question. I see an opportunity with HUD and examining really what is the definition of housing, you know, because there's a big gap between so many different types of homelessness issues or it's not all housing. Right. Right, right. I mean, like my uh, hardworking 25 year old twins. Right. Have a bit of a housing issue just because of the cost of housing. That's different than the meth addict or the fentanyl addicts housing issue. And so I know from the work that I've done at Common Sense for Oregon um, and and just like you and I, you can't ignore when you're looking at public safety, you look at these addiction problems, the funding problems. Um, But one of the things that I will always be vigilant about is where's the money going? You know, accountability. There's just blank checks written all the time. I saw it with the public defense thing and then with the the um, HUD and yeah. the emergency rental assistance that was kicked in because oh, of yeah. COVID. Yeah. But it's an emergency response program, uh, which I'm very concerned about having been in the National Guard for all those years. I know how important it is that we are ready for a real disaster, yep. like an earthquake. But it just seems like millions and millions, not seems like, millions and millions of dollars go missing. Uh, And the need that they were uh, that they were directed to uh, is not addressed at all. That's true. I guess you you see that there's no result. That's where they sent. They they say they send the money. Measure one ten dollars. What is that done for the uh, rehabilitation for the intended purpose? Yeah. yeah, that's a good point mm-hmm. now that you mention it, that I forget what the dollar figure was that uh, I think it was the emergency rental assistance that the state got from the feds and the state just lost. They don't have no idea. some million. Yeah. I mean, it was and a they, huge amount of money. Yes. And the other thing we see repeatedly is that um, consultants have been hired and paid and they yeah. give good advice and they ignore it. Yep. And, and so in that case, I read something um 
that suggested that the whoever the agency that was in, was uh, tasked with managing this was told that the way they were set up or not set up was not going to work. And then it didn't work. And there's right. just no accountability. Uh, those were federal dollars. I didn't hear a peep out of any of our Oregon Congress people. No. You'll hear a peep out of me when that happens. I want to direct money to Oregon for the intended purpose. Like we need some infrastructure money. I've been finding, I was shocked to hear, I was in Lincoln County. I've gone all down the coast uh-huh. except Curry, but th- there's no uh, steady stream funding year to year for infrastructure. Mm-hmm. What a waste of money to even put you through the motions of applying for the obvious. It'd be like, you know, if you and I had to apply for, city services, uh, county services to our house every year. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, The infrastructure thing is a, it is a difficult one and uh, money is an issue that from my standpoint, I used to be on the city council here in Bend during the reset, the great recession. So we had no money to do anything um, for the most part, but uh, the stuff we did deal with or I dealt with on the council was largely infrastructure based and you're right. It's really hard to fund those projects just because those projects are enormously expensive for a bunch of reasons. They don't have to be quite as expensive as they are. Yes. Um, because I mean, a lot of it's the environmental regulations, the, you know, union, you have to hire union workers at the, the prevailing wage or not necessarily union workers, but prevailing wage. Uh, all of that just drives up the cost of infrastructure. Yes. But I also wonder how much of Oregon, like the people that are actually implementing infrastructure projects in Oregon, at, at mm-hmm. least at the state level, mm-hmm. I could get the sense they really could care less about doing infrastructure the way you and I think about infrastructure, like roads right. and pipes and airports yeah. and stuff like that. It's like, what does it mean to the rest of the world when you see the federal government taking down physical barriers from the border that, that the Texas Guard and governor put up? Yeah. It makes it really clear. Well, it's good that it's out in the open. I mean, I think you and I believe in that. You make progress when you expose what's going on and you educate people and raise their awareness. So, I mean, for those that didn't believe we have a security problem on the border now, thank you, federal government, for making that clear. Making it absolutely clear. And I see the same here in Oregon, this housing, the governor's housing plan. Okay. They never address some of the obvious expenses like reducing the permitting expenses. You know, removing the red tape, removing barriers. You know, we have executive orders uh, that seem to mean nothing. Like the governor, I don't know what the status is now, but isn't there a declaration of a, a homelessness uh, emergency? I think so. I think it's one okay. of many emergencies. Yeah, like, I know right that now. there are citizens in Deschutes there around the um, High Desert Museum who are very concerned about trails being blazed out into the forest mm. and from down downtown Eugene. And one of the reasons people are objecting is because of the homeless population that is going to go out there. They've already gone out there. There's Mm -hmm. no experiment, no study required. We know what's going to happen because it's already happened. And we know we have a forest fire problem. Huge. So why doesn't the governor use her or the, the leadership, the electeds, Raise the issue of the there. We have an emergency, a homelessness emergency. This project should be stopped until that emergency has passed. Yeah. Right. And we and this is at the same time that ODOT's saying they don't have enough money to plow snow and people will die. People will die because the roads are not maintained, but they want to stick with their trailblazing project. Yeah, it is. It is kind of a priority issue. So is it is it is it 
it's like somebody governing um, or, you know, in the position to question legislation. Those are the things I look for. Does it make sense? Who's it? What purpose is it serving? Does it have to be this expensive? And then what did you do with the last chunk of money we gave you on this project? Yeah. What's the progress? Yep. Good questions to ask and questions that aren't often asked. And a good segue to your opponent. Let's talk about Val Hoyle for a little bit. Freshman yes. Democrat, uh, just elected two years ago for the first time, 4th Congressional District, former Labor Commissioner, State of Oregon, replaced Peter DeFazio, who'd been in that seat forever. And she's made a splash during her first term. I don't know if it's the splash that she intended. She's she's kind of gotten sideways with some ethical and legal stuff, hasn't she? That's the splash? <laughs> That's her splash. Is <laughs> That was my splash. Okay. Well, <laughs> exposing that. Yeah, yeah. Government transparency and accountability. But it's funny you say splash because as I learn more about Val and the uh, condition of our state, it's as if she was a big fish in a little pond of Oregon and they kind of play musical chairs and they all take care of each other. And, and it turns out Lamoda's involved in taking care of them too. Yep. And they take care of each other. And I'm learning that Peter DeFazio was not very popular in DC because I've been wondering like, how could such a senior congressman not have not brought more progress to our forest interests and our port interests? And I mean, isn't that the only argument for career politicians is they become more powerful because they have all those relationships yeah. and they get stuff done. Well, I don't think he was very popular Yeah, uh, from what I'm hearing and not effective. And so then she jumps out of the, the pond of Oregon, which we agree is toxic. And she's in a hall. She's in a new ballpark now. And I don't think it's going very well for her. Yeah. You've, you just came out with a new I've written a ton about Congresswoman Hoyle and her various legal and ethical challenges. Yes. You just came out with a website. That, yes. Thank you for reminding yeah, me. Yeah. So what, first tell me about website. the website and what the URL is, et cetera. Okay. Well, the first and most important website is my website. Oh yes. Of you course. You can learn more about me and that's Monique for Congress.com. And that's F O R spelled out Monique for Congress. And then yes, we put together a website. I have a great team and we uh, pulled all the information from people that have done the hard work that you've done and the Willamette week and other investigative reporters. And um, we put together what's valhiding.com. Just what's valhiding. And that's just a simple site that just pulls all that information into a chronology. And we actually did it to make it easier for the U.S. attorney of the District of Oregon, because I'm sure they're busy. And, you know, I used to conduct investigations as a JAG, and, and I know what a complete investigation looks like. And I asked if they would consider expanding the scope of yeah. their. Existing that. investigations, the FBI is investigating Lamoda and also Shamia Fagan, as they should. And they have enough evidence. Um, and so we just put it in a convenient little chronology for them on that website yeah. and sent a letter to the I sent a letter to the U.S. attorney uh, asking them for, to either expand the scope, which I think would be the most cost effective. Yeah, or conduct an, an independent yeah. investigation. Yeah, I think that's uh, the issue about what the U.S. Attorney's Office is doing with its investigation of LaModa-oriented, I guess, corruption in the state of Oregon is um, that's the big, like, kind of 
million pound gorilla in the room i'm going to mix up metaphors here but the million pound gorilla in the room that no one's going to talk about mm -hmm. um, that investigation even what we think we know they're they're probing which would be at the very least the arrangement between la moda its founders shamia fagan that god-awful uh quote-unquote audit that fagan's office put together pertaining to the olcc etc that's going to be pretty uh, that could be pretty explosive on its own but as you indicate lamoda they were fagan was not their only their only pal Target. and mm -hmm. uh certainly kotek was and importantly hoyle what was mm -hmm. what do we know about what did with for lamoda well you were great i think you were one of the first to expose a lot of this stuff but i don't know where should we begin I mean, most recently was that when she left Bully, they discovered that, you know, in atypical fashion, she had used her personal devices, her cell phone for official government business, which caused all of that, everything on the cell phone to be subject to a pub public records request. And she refused and still has refused, like... They tried to act like there was a day after I launched my campaign, actually, that her oh. lawyer, <laughs> that they announced that they had tranched, released some tranches, you know, but yeah. they didn't give the whole fun of her. They still are screening. Yep. We still do not know everything that is on that that phone and bully themselves. They said it would take 20 minutes. They just have a little scanning yep. device. They'll look for the search terms they want and, and there should be no problem, right? Like what's Val hiding? She's still hiding it. She's still not returned over that device. For sure. For sure. She's um, got her lawyer looking at it. What we think she's hiding, we do have information about, so I'm kind of going in reverse order yep. here. But the latest was, the latest was she responded to my press conference releasing this website and the letter to the U.S. attorney was there's nothing there. How did she say it? There's nothing there, there. Yeah. It was just... She thinks it's a political stunt. It's not. I just so happen to be have a target to get that seat in Congress. Um, yeah. When I when I first started considering this, I thought, I mean, I have to demonstrate what problem I'm solving. Right. And I thought it was going to be bad votes that are not favorable legislation that is not on target with what Oregonians want and need. But what I found is, oh, my God, she's corrupt and she doesn't even cooperate with her own federal government or state agencies that she used to lead. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. So that's the problem I solve. Right. Yeah. But anyway, her response to that was just this is just political theater nothing to see here yeah that's right I've answered I, I all the questions it's like yeah. no okay i actually really still want to know why you haven't turned over your phone so we think she didn't turn over her phone i mean i would be thinking if i was the investigator that it has something to do with that grant that she essentially used her unduly influenced using her authority as the boss of bully and the and you can't make this stuff up the committee that was making the decision to award a federal grant of half a million dollars she influenced them there have been some text messages released and that indicate she said you will consider this again like i know yep. you're going to decide this time but let's give them another month yep had them schedule a meeting that was not previously scheduled yep it's just clear on its face that she yeah. influenced it. And then if you didn't believe that, you would be concerned, hopefully, that her replacement when she was elected to Congress, her uh, appointed replacement as the bully commissioner, 
that woman reversed the decision on the grant and retracted that grant yep. and said that it was an illegal award <laughs> of federal tax dollars, right? That the story of that grant, you said it right. You said that it was almost too much to believe. It is like the fact pattern from political corruption 101, what happened with that grant where Oil receives campaign donations to her congressional. Well, she received a bunch of campaign donations to her bully reelection campaign before she decided to run for Congress, received donations from uh, the two founders of LaModa, um, mm-hmm. Aaron Mitchell and Rosa Cazares, which I personally think was probably were probably made in cash, which would be a violation of federal law to receive that amount of like 5,800 bucks in, in cash donations. Well, it's and it's okay under to, Oregon law, but not under federal law. Yeah. And I want to inject that Val's trying to help them get around this pesky problem that marijuana companies have about what to do with their cash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, she'll take it. Right. Yeah. It's really rough, you know, but like, well, while you're working on legislation to make it easier for marijuana <laughs> companies to manage all their cash in the federal banking system, we'll just give you some of that cash. I'll, I'll take some of that cash off your hands, said Val Hoyle. And she did. And then, you know, she tries to ram through and she does ram through this apprenticeship grant for a nonprofit founded by one of the co-founders of LaModa and then a friend of hers. Mm-hmm. You look through the record that we even have now without the stuff that's on her personal cell phone. It's clear. I mean, the the committee that decides those grants didn't want to do it or they at least had questions about it. And they'd said, nah, no. And then she said, nope, you're going to do it, like you said, and then rams it through. And it turns out the thing is thinking illegal. Like you can't it's not a legal grant under federal law. And everyone knows that cannabis is illegal under federal law. Did no one look at this to see if you can set up an apprenticeship program? Yeah. It boggles my mind. But um, um, yeah, it's it's arrogance. It is arrogance. And I would say a good bit of incompetence, too. (gasps) Like there, there are people that are there are politicians who are good at kind of playing fast and loose with the rules. And there are politicians who are bad at it. And I think Hoyle is one of those that is bad at it which is good news for you. Well, it's just what happens when we're not village vigilant for all these years. You know, I mean, we, it's been almost 50 years since we've had a conservative in this seat in a relatively conservative district. Mm -hmm. And I think there's been apathy and then combine that with the, the regime in the whole state. I just think that we haven't been vigilant combined with arrogance. After a while you get sloppy. Yep. Because they, I mean, I think you're right. You're right. The culture in Salem is that as long as you're playing for the right team or the left team, as the case may be, you're fine. You can get away with uh, with a lot. And they're, they've shown that they've tried a lot and they're getting away with some of it. I think they've they've kind of run into some issues here over this last year, which is uh, good because all Oregonians benefit from clean government. Republicans can be corrupt, just like Democrats can be corrupt. Yes. Um, yes. Republicans just have no power in Oregon, so no one wants to corrupt them. Uh, so we're dealing with a lot of Democrat corruption in this state right now. And Hoyle is certainly ex- exhibit A or B uh, for mm-hmm. that proposition. Yes. So it's very unlikely that LaModa would just be having a special uh, relationship with the Secretary of State and no other elected. You know, it just yeah. seems like a no brainer that any. Uh, the people that have already been identified as having a relationship with LaModa must be investigated 
for the FBI or U.S. Yep. Uh, attorney yep. to consider their work thorough and complete. Yep. Absolutely. Hopefully they take this opportunity. I want to be sensitive to your time, Monique. I know you you have a job and you also run for Congress. So that's a lot on your plate right there. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about? Feel free to restate your uh, your website and all that so people know how to look you up and help you out. Thank you. Yes. Um, my website is MoniqueForCongress.com. You'll, uh, again, my issues are uh, public safety, the economy, getting back to a prosperous economy, which is the umbrella of, you know, the forest, to the port, removing barriers to building houses and buildings would all fall within the econ- economic prosperity. And then the government transparency and accountability. I'm already starting the work of that yep. by calling on the U.S. attorney to do a complete and thorough investigation so Oregonians know what's happening. So those will remain my priorities unless I learn while I'm out there that the people of Oregon have a higher priority on something right. else. But I feel like I have a pretty good pulse on what people are concerned about. And in, in the dis- fourth district, my goal is to bring be the voice for so many disenfranchised people on the coast Um, They just haven't been heard. They literally haven't even been visited. So um, that's what I want to do and take that to D.C. And I will be just as vocal there as I'm being here in Oregon. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I do want to say the fight is freaking expensive. Um, We've been very fortunate. We've raised 100,000 in 45 days. I launched November 16th. That was the beginning of when I could start bringing in the money. And we closed out at 100K and I'm told that's very good. And so that's important because I do have the support of the NRCC. Mm -hmm. Uh, Val Hoyle is considered the most vulnerable Democrat in the country right now or top five. So I do hope to garner support. Um, You know, I don't want to put it all on all of us in Oregon here, but doing my best to raise money. It's a terrible part of the job, but I do need to raise money and I welcome any donations to fuel the fight. Awesome. Well, Thanks for coming on, Monique. And this has been Monique Despain, candidate for the 4th Congressional District of Oregon. Monique, we'd love to have you back on in a in a while and check in on you about how the campaign's going. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for the work you do, too. Really, it takes all of us to be vigilant. Well, thanks so much, Monique. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. We'll have at least two or three uh, really interesting congressional races here in Oregon this cycle. You've got the the Hoyle seat, which is the one that Monique's running for. You have Lori Chavez de Reamer defending the uh the fifth district with a really wild uh Democrat primary happening in the fifth district right now, which I won't get into now. I will in the future. But it's uh it's kind of fun to watch. And then in the in the sixth district, the new district, you've got Andrea Salinas who is uh, running for re-election for the first time too. So you've got a couple of incumbent freshmen who are defending their seats or three incumbent freshmen that are defending their seats for the first time. It should be a really interesting campaign cycle to watch here in Oregon from a congressional standpoint, which it was last time too, but it's been a while since it's been interesting on the congressional campaign front. So for political nerds like me and probably you, if you're listening to this, uh, it should be an interesting year uh, to follow those races here in Oregon. Thanks for listening. If you, are, if you haven't signed up for the podcast yet and somehow are listening to it anyway, uh, and you haven't signed up for my newsletter, you can do 
both of those things in one fell swoop at oregonroundup.substack.com. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com. 